everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I love my guest today. We talk about so many things that are so relevant to the show and answer a lot of questions that I think many of you have. We talk about what is trauma, what is somatic therapy, can we move through and really heal things like anxiety, depression. Britt is just an incredible person who really has transformed her life. And when you hear a little bit more about her story, and her past and everything that she's been through and has been able to heal from and transform, I think you're going to feel really inspired. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Britt Frank. She is a therapist, teacher, speaker, and trauma specialist who is committed to dismantling the mental health myths that keep us feeling stuck and sick. Her work focuses on empowering people to understand the inner mechanisms of their brains and bodies. When we know how things work, the capacity for choice is restored and life can and does change. Whether she's leading a workshop, teaching a class, or working individually with private clients, Britt's goal is to educate, empower, and equip people to transform even their most persistent and long-standing patterns of thinking and doing. She's also the author of the upcoming book, The Science of Stuck, which is available in March, but you can pre-order it. It's a research-based toolkit for moving past what's holding you back in life, love, and work. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor. You know them, you love them, Organifi. Get all of your superfood yumminess from Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it, and get 20% off. Enjoy their green juice, their red juice. I love their gold. It's their turmeric latte mix. Um, It's so delicious. They have so many other great products. Their immunity products are great. Their collagen products, all kinds of good stuff. And you know you can trust the source and you know you're getting good good ingredients and good nutrition. And it's really, really easy to use. I think their green juice, the, the powder green juice is one of the best tasting green juices on the market. I really love the red juice as well. I really notice a shift in my energy when I use it. So get your 20% off on any order, not just your first. Go to Organifi.com slash over it. All right, and now on to my conversation with Britt Frank. Britt, I'm so happy to have you here. You talk about so many things that we talk about on the show. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I read your bio. Everybody knows you're a therapist, teacher, speaker, and trauma specialist and author. I'd love to begin with your definition of trauma because that's a word that I use a lot, that people use a lot. And I think a lot of people kind of wonder, well, what is trauma? Have I had trauma? How do I know if I've had trauma? How would you define trauma? Mm, I love that question so much, especially since the pandemic. It's sort of become the buzzword and we're all allowed to talk about it now in a way we weren't before. So yay. So that's the good news. The bad news is there's lots of misinformation. So let's just start with what is trauma? The base definition that I use comes from Dr. Peter Levine, who's the founder of Somatic Experiencing, and he defines it as anything that is too much, too fast, or too soon. And I'll add, or not enough. So trauma is anything that's too much, too fast, too soon, Mm -hmm. or not enough. The way I explain it to people is it's sort of like brain indigestion. You know, when you're digesting food, you can't really tell like the apple I eat every day is suddenly making me feel sick or, you know, the food that's been contaminated is definitely going to make me feel sick, but we don't blame ourselves. And at some point, if you're a human, you're going to have indigestion. Mm -hmm. At some point, if you're a human, you're going to have brain indigestion, which is trauma. It's for everybody. I love that that's the way you define it because I use Peter Levine's definition as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really great. And I want to talk a little bit about the importance of not comparing your trauma 
to others. Because we Mm. see so often in the show, people say, well, I had a really good childhood, so I don't know where this issue is coming from. And I'm like, all right, well, tell me about your childhood. And then they may not have been abused. Their parents may not have been addicts, but they still had trauma. (laughs) There was still stuff that happened in their (laughs) life, you know? Their, Their mom was really hard on their body or their dad was really strict or they moved a lot. So I just see this, this, um, tendency for people to, to minimize their trauma in two ways. One, they compare their life to others and two, they feel bad talking badly about their parents. So do you mind Mm. unpacking both of those a little bit for us? Absolutely. Because it's so important to separate the intentions of the people who created trauma for us from the impact. So people, well-meaning, loving, fantastic parents could still cause trauma. So trauma is not about blaming anyone. It's just about healing. But I'll start with the comparison issue. So I like to use the eye doctor as my example. You know, when I go to the eye doctor, I don't sit there and say, well, other people have worse eyesight than I do. Therefore, I don't deserve glasses. It's like, you know, to some degree, I'm going to have eye issues at some point and I may need glasses and comparing my eyesight to somebody else's eyesight is absolutely pointless. And I shouldn't feel guilty because I need a less strong prescription lens than my neighbor down the street. And so comparing trauma, you know, perspective is helpful. It is actually useful to have perspective on privilege, access to resources, having a good upbringing, having people who love you. Having perspective is good, but perspective is not the same as comparison. Perspective is holding space for multiple realities at once. Comparison is a, is a binary. It's if this, then therefore not that. And so having space for lots of things to be true. My parents were great and they loved me. And there were a few boxes that didn't get checked and I have trauma, all equally true. So that's my thing with comparison is if we can shift comparison to perspective, then we're good to go. That gives us permission to love our family and to heal our trauma at the same time. I I really love that. I really love perspective. And I think it's so important for all of us to really honor what's happened in our life. Now, not get stuck in a victim, not continue Mm -hmm. to use that as an excuse, but you know, there's two extremes. There's repressing it and, and kind of demoting it and minimizing it. And then there's completely indulging in it and letting it be the scapegoat for our life. So, you know, you've done a lot of work. This is your area of expertise. What, what do you, and I know it's different for everyone, but if you were to generalize a bit, which I know it's hard to do, but if you could give some broad advice for the best ways to heal trauma, because that's a question we get on the show so much. You know, I know I have this trauma. Talk therapy hasn't really been working for me. A lot of my audience gets really, really frustrated because they have so much awareness. They can connect the dots. They know why they feel the way they do and act the way they do and have the patterns that they do, but they just can't seem to shift it. And they still have a trauma response. You know, they still time travel. They're 35, but something happens and all of a sudden they're eight years old and they don't even know it. You know, they're having that physiological or emotional response. So what advice or guidance do you have for people for some of the best ways to really heal trauma so it doesn't have to run their life or influence their life as much anymore? 
Sure. And, you know, talk therapy has its place. And like you said, it's really limiting Mm -hmm. when you have all of this beautiful cognitive awareness and all of this intellectual putting together of the dots. And I can, you know, for me, I did 10 years of talk therapy where I could very articulately tell you why this trauma happened and why this addiction happened, but I was still feeling really crappy and I wasn't getting any forward momentum. And it's because a lot of talk therapy ignores the fact that we live in human bodies. You know, while we're here on this earth, we walk around in physical organisms and with cells and organs and tissues and nervous systems and talk therapy largely ignores Mm -hmm. everything from the nose down and just focuses on our thoughts and our thinking, which is important, but it's not the whole story. So the very first step to healing trauma, if we're going to break it down, is validating that you have it. The Mm -hmm. question you asked before about people who feel bad because they have trauma and it's, it's such a, you know, not a good use of our energy and our resources, which is so limited for so many people nowadays to go into the, I don't deserve to heal because I had it really well. It's like, you know, you deserve to heal no matter how awesome your family was. You deserve to heal no matter how many resources were available to you. You deserve to heal no matter how much you have in your life. And you can't heal trauma if you're not willing to validate your right to heal trauma. And you deserve to heal if you have kids too. I think a lot of people put it off because they want to focus on their kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And the best thing you can do for a cut for a child is heal your own trauma. (laughs) What a gift to kind of end the cycle of genetic, you know, inherited family patterning by healing your own trauma. I mean, that's a really beautiful gift. So step one is validate your right to have trauma and your right to heal trauma. Then step two, you know, there's a saying from the 12 steps that I love, you know, from the group and it's keep your mind where your feet are. You need to keep your head where your feet are, because like you said, we time travel. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just in very simple terms, one of the ways to halt the time traveling process is to really get into senses and sensory inputs. Can you have things around you that you can smell? Like as we're sitting here, I have a bowl of kinetic sand sitting next to me because if I don't have something to dig my hands around in, I tend to time travel with things. And so things that you can smell, things that you can touch, things that you can listen to and really doing a compassionate inquiry of what's my body experiencing right now. Whether or not I think it should feel unsafe, it does. And what people, places, thoughts, or things can I use to help me feel a little safer and a little bit more present in right now? And what do you think of people pursuing um, specifically somatic therapists or trauma-informed therapists? Do you think that can be a very helpful thing for people that feel like they can't get on the other side of their trauma? Well, I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner. So I love somatic work. <laughs> I am 100% fully on board. You know, I had done talk therapy over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And when I found Dr. Levine's work, Mm -hmm. it changed my entire trajectory. Me too. It changed every, I mean, I didn't pop out a therapist. I popped out in the world of advertising and like media production Mm -hmm. somatic experiencing. I was so, oh my gosh, I have a body and there's a fight and flight response. And if you understand how that works, you can change even the most longstanding patterns oh my gosh. And then I became a therapist because I got obsessed with somatic work. So yes, (laughs) definitely. definitely. Yes. Yes. And there are a lot of, and I tell people, you know, finding the right therapist or practitioner is, is kind of like dating. You have to try some different people out and really find the right fit. But I truly believe there is the right practitioner for everyone and different people at different times. I mean, I've had 
different people that have helped me with different things and somatic work. And we've talked about it on the show, but just for people that may be new or may not have heard us talk about it, do you mind giving an overview of what somatic experiencing is? Because many sure. people don't know what that means. And somatic is just it just means body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's our body's experience of our reality. Mm-hmm. So somatic experiencing approach to therapy is, you know, not just what do you think about the situation, but as you think about the situation, what do you notice in your body? Mm-hmm. Where do you notice holding or tightening or constricting or expanding? And it's really learning the language of the nervous system. Our nervous system has, and I'm breaking this down very, you know, reductive, but yes. there's the gas pedal and the brake pedal. And if we're like, pedal to the metal, gas pedal to the floor, when we want to be resting, we're not going to be able to settle. And then we're going to blame ourselves. Or conversely, if our foot is jammed on the brakes, we'll call ourselves lazy. We'll call ourselves unmotivated. But really, these are physiological mechanisms Mm -hmm. that create a lot of our symptoms. Not all, not always, but a lot. So it's sort of like driving a car. If you don't know that you need to push the gas to go, you're going to sit there and wonder, why is the car not moving? What's wrong with me? Why do I stink at driving? And it's like, no, you, you just need to know that there's a gas pedal and a brake pedal and an emergency brake. And if you know just a little bit about how it works, you know, I'm, I'm not an auto mechanic. I don't know everything about my car. <laughs> you're I not in addition to everything else. You're, you don't fix cars no. on the side. No. And what's amazing is it's not easy, but it's not complex and it doesn't require years and years of study to drive a car. Driving our organisms, Mm -hmm. our nervous systems is the same way with just a few pieces of information. Like here's your brakes, here's your gas, here's how to step on each is life change. And I'm so passionate about it because I was a hot disaster mess of a human before Mm -hmm. I found this work. What do you mean? Oh, I was an addict, borderline personality disordered, eating disordered, mm-hmm. love addicted, depressed, panic disorder. I mean, I had a, all of the things. My cluster of DSM diagnoses, which is like the Bible of the mental health world, mm-hmm. um, was not short. And what I didn't know was that all of these symptoms, when I dealt with my trauma, yep. they abated, they calmed down. So I am no longer, you know, I no longer meet criteria for mental health diagnoses, which is really cool. Amazing. That's so inspiring, Britt. I I really, I think people listening need to hear things like that and just feel very, very stuck in the analysis and the awareness. And it is, and we, I I co-founded and run a coaching institute, a coaching certification program. And one of the reasons that me and my colleagues wanted to start it is because we're like, coaches don't know how to deal with the soma, the body, Mm -hmm. and they know how to do mindset and make the vision boards and shift beliefs and NLP people, but until you get in the body and get the trauma out of the body. And to me, I combine like the body and the the emotions because so many emotions are in the body. Things really, really don't shift. And whether it's BPD or eating disorder or, or it's physical symptoms, Crohn's disease, fibromyalgia, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, it, the body is speaking to us. And when we actually deal with those things and heal that trauma, the body and the subconscious mind doesn't have to keep raising the alarm because all those things, you know, from my point of view are indicators. They're like, hello, (laughs) there's something I'm trying to communicate to you. Yeah. I always like to say, you know, when your smoke alarm goes off, it's not attacking the house. Mm -hmm. I mean, a smoke alarm is unpleasant, but it's a signal that there's a fire and we're so quick to use shit. I mean, and it's no one's fault. It's just how the mental health field just sort of evolved and it's time to change a lot of it. You know, a panic, panicked attacks. I'm being attacked by my own body, you know, calling panic an attack. If we think there's something inside us that's 
out to get us, we're right. actually going to ramp up the fear response. Right. If we think of panic as the internal alarm system, it's still awful, but it's less frightening. It's less terrifying. If we know, oh, my alarm is going off. I need to see if there's a fire or if this is a false alarm yeah. versus there is a beast inside me that's trying to kill me, which nothing right. will ratchet, you know, ramp up a nervous system faster than thinking we're being attacked. Yep. Oh, panic attacks are the worst. Oh, mm-hmm. God, I hate them so much. Uh, me too. <laughs> Absolutely. I call them panic episodes now. Yeah. yeah. Because, and, and with the Soma, one of the most powerful, you know, two of the best panic attack, quote, attack, things that I love to use are ice cubes. If you're panicking, hold on to ice cubes and pay attention to what the sensation of cold mm-hmm. feels like in your body. Mm-hmm. And then doing, re- if you're, you know, if you can, doing physically very, very slow push-ups and really paying attention to going down and coming back up. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, push on a wall. And if you can't do that, push your hands together in the prayer position as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. And just cue your body that we are here and we are currently not being attacked. Yeah. Unless you are under attack and that changes this conversation entirely. Right, 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 right. Right. And, you know, another thing, one thing that has worked well for me is actually putting um, an ice pack, like a long kind of thin ice pack on my vagus nerve, right? Yeah. On my center of my chest. That works Mm -hmm. beautifully as well. And I've learned with my panic episodes, what it really (laughs) is, is a nervous system overload. Like they never happen to me when I'm home or, you know, just they happen to me when there's two, because I'm a very highly sensitive person, empath who was put on antidepressants at age 11 because that really wasn't understood back then. But I was just mm-hmm. feeling so much. I, mean, I feel everybody's everything, which is great because it makes me really um, good at what I do. You know, and it has turned into my gifts in so many ways. But I have to be mindful of my nervous system because if there's too much input and I'm not grounding myself and I'm not, you know, doing the things that help my nervous system calm down and protect my energy, my nervous system just goes on overload. It's I, I compare it to being a salt lamp and having the voltage of a football stadium lighting system plugged into me. That's what it feels like. I love that. I'm so stealing. I'll tell people it's yours, okay. but that's fantastic. I love <laughs> well, I really love salt lamps. So that's, that's, that's my, my image. Um, but what, when I really got to understood it and use it as a feedback loop, rather than this really annoying, shameful thing about me. Because I think with mental health, especially, you know, being diagnosed with depression at a young age, being told I had anxiety disorders in my teenage years, um, that's just such a strong label and there's so much shame around it. And so Mm -hmm. when I'd have those things come up, um, I don't really, depression doesn't come up for me anymore, but that anxiety, it's like I use it as, I I don't hate it anymore. And that's Mm -hmm. been a really huge game changer for me as well. It's really a, and I'm an H, I'm a highly sensitive person and an empath yep. and the, the whole Not same surprised. thing, the whole <laughs> same, same kind of thing. And it's really making peace with these quote symptoms are my body's best efforts to keep me safe and alive. Yep. And it's like, wow, our body, you know, when someone comes to me with just this, you know, really unpleasant cluster of experiences and symptoms, the first thing I'll say is, wow, how creative is your body that it created these ways to keep you alive? And it worked as evidenced by you are alive and we are having this conversation. What we want is for your internal system to not have to work so hard because if you actually are safe, your brain is over, you know, over energizing the system with energy that's not needed because you're not actually being chased by a tiger, but it's such a more compassionate way to frame our experiences as self-preservation rather than a character defect or weakness or any of the other things that are completely inaccurate. Yeah. And one thing I remind people of is you can't heal something if you're judging it. 
It's just, it just, mm-hmm. you just can't because healing only happens in the frequency of love and compassion. And if we're judging something, there's no way to heal it, which is, I warn people when they're in personal development or any kind of therapy, don't come in with it, with the mindset and the come from of I'm broken. This needs to be mm. fixed. It's more, I love myself so much. I want to understand myself better. And that creates the atmosphere for healing. But judging ourselves, and I'm amazing at judging myself. I'm really, really good <laughs> at it. So I know from firsthand experience that my, you know, things I want to shift or change or heal, they they grip on stronger when I'm making them wrong. So um, all right. So how do we, because this is a big thing that we talk about on the show as well people really get stuck in their past, even though something might've happened 20 years ago. Why do we get so stuck in the past? And why can't we just think or positive affirmation ourselves forward? I love that question so much because it's, it's the question, right? I want to get over the past. I want to let the past go, but you know, we have to remember that time and space are constructs that we created to make sense of our world to your nervous system and your brain. The past is still present. And until we process it, the past stays completely alive in our nervous system. And Dr. Bessel van der Vanderkolk talks about this, you know, the past stays present in the form of symptoms and this gnawing sense of unease. Mm. And so the reason we can't get over the past is because the past is present. So when people say I should be over this by now, it was 20 years ago, right there, we've set ourselves up to not be able to process because what's invalidated can't be processed. Right. And so we can only process what we acknowledge. So step one, if you're trying to move on, you know, if you're trying to actually put the past in the past, step one, validate that it happened and it might not have been someone's fault and it might not have been someone's intention, but the thing that happened happened and it hurt you. And that's a really, it sounds simple, but that is a hard place for people to come to, you know, this thing happened and I'm sad about it. I shouldn't be sad about it. It was so long ago and they meant well and blah, blah, blah. And it's the simple truth is you're sad about the thing that happened. So let's be sad Mm -hmm. about the thing that happened and allow your body to express whatever it needs to, whether that's tears or shaking or sweating or tightening or whatever, really letting our body be part of the metabolism process. When we metabolize our experiences, they're no longer present in our body. Mm-hmm. That's been huge for me. I'm, I'm eight months pregnant right now. <laughs> and I, and, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't know as much as I do about developmental psychology. <laughs> Because there have been moments where I've, you know, had anxiety or been really angry or or whatever, but I know I'm also teaching her how to deal with emotions, especially in that third trimester. I mean, Bruce Lipton talks so much about this, but I've been mindful of like, if something comes up, you know, and I feel something doing the shaking or, or, you know, hitting a pillow or getting like moving it out of my body and teaching her like, we have emotions. We have, these are mom's emotions. These aren't your emotions. We have emotions and this is how we move them out of our body because it's, it's energy in motion. And I think like as a society, we're just so programmed to hold things in. We're mm-hmm. so emotionally constipated. And, <laughs> the, the, and, you know, as the famous book title says, the body, the body keeps the score and mm-hmm. it would be great. Like you and I would probably not have jobs if we could just think ourselves forward. 
Like if it was that easy, you and I would be doing, you'd still be in and doing what you were doing before. I'd, who knows it's, what I'd be doing. It's so true. We if we could think our way forward, we would, but the yeah. part of our brains that thinks is not the part of our brain that experiences. And so that's like, if I go in the kitchen and scream about what a mess my basement is, I can yell about my basement all day, but to clean the basement, you have to go down the stairs to the basement. Yep. And this is the same thing. Yep. Let's talk about self-sabotage. Is there such a thing? Ah, <laughs> oh, that word. I'm so committed <laughs> to de-shaming <laughs> de and destigmatizing. You know, mm -hmm. sabotage is such a shame-based word. No, there is no such thing as self-sabotage. Internal parts of us will do really messed up things in order to protect us from perceived or real harm. But self-sabotage is almost always a suboptimal attempt at self-protection. I am not saying that the things that we do are good. I'm not saying it was good that I used to do hard drugs and that, oh, I was just self-protecting. You know, mm -hmm. this is why I was a chronic under earner and I didn't eat. It's like, I'm mm -hmm. not justifying it, but I am explaining that sabotage was not the intention Protection behind the was. behavior. Right. Protection mm -hmm. was. And mm -hmm. without knowing intention, you can't shape and change behavior. That's why I love internal family systems. Yes, I had Richard Swartz on the show too. And that's another thing we teach in Elementum, the coaching Institute, because it's just so helpful to know that we have these different parts and anything, whether it's our sabot quote unquote saboteur or victim or procrastinator, whatever these parts are inner critic, it, we don't want to get rid of them. We want to understand mm -hmm. them, know that they're there to protect us, get that protection, whatever we think that part is doing in a different way. Because until like if the saboteur really thinks and knows and is protecting us, it's never going to go away because it has such an important job, such an yes. important job. And I love my saboteur mm -hmm. and I love my drug addict parts, you know, my parts who use that because if you, and Dick Schwartz talks about this all the time. I love IFS. It, it you so know, good. along with somatic work changed my life. Dick Schwartz says, if you free the part from their burden, there's so much creativity and grit and spontaneity mm -hmm. and innovation, you know, all of the gifts that we are trying to cultivate by doing self-development and self-help, all of the gifts we seek are embedded in the parts of us that we say we hate. And so it's kind of a paradox that the parts of ourselves we hate the most have the most important gifts for us. And so really freeing them from having to protect to me is the key of, to all of this. Mm -hmm. You've touched on a few things, but I want to really highlight this because I think it's important. Um, the, the mental health, wellness, personal development world, um, and it gives a lot of inaccurate information and I get mm -hmm. on my soapbox about this as well. Do you mind <laughs> highlighting just a, some of the things that, that you see so we can really help people lean towards the truth a little more? Mm -hmm. Um, and the mental health, I'm so glad you're on board. They're like, let's bust mental health myths, you yeah. know? One, you are not broken and there's no such thing as crazy. Crazy, everything makes sense in context. Yep. I may not know the context of everybody's symptoms, but if you hold a magnifying glass up close, everything makes sense in context. So there is no such thing as crazy. And I'm very big on that. There's also no such thing as broken. Our nervous systems and our brains are wired to change and heal and grow and learn. So the brain you have now is not the brain you're stuck with for the next 20 years. So if you think this is just who I am, well, no, because we can rewire all of the pathways and we can change things. And so it's so important to me to know, you know, for people to know that, and there's nothing wrong with having a diagnosis or wrestling. And some people don't have access to the mm -hmm. resources they need. And that's a big problem, but all things being equal, you can heal from trauma. 
it does not have to be something you live with forever. And that's so important. And so it's such good news Mm -hmm. that I think everyone needs to know. Mm -hmm. And procrastination is not a character flaw. It's a suboptimal form of self-protection. And the same thing with motivation. There is no such thing as an unmotivated person. We're either motivated, we're motivated by two things at all times. We're either motivated to survive a real or perceived threat or we're motivated to make choices and create our lives. But there's no such thing as unmotivation. Mm, that's important. So people, for people that feel unmotivated right now, mm-hmm. what can they do to shift out of that? Sure. And again, I get it. You know, like I'm still human. I still go to therapy and I still feel all of the things. But instead of saying, oh my God, I suck. I'm so unmotivated. Let's start with, wow, there are some things in life right now that are really heavy and really big. And right now my brain is motivated more towards comfort than it is towards productivity. And I need to get curious about that. You know, we were talking about judging ourselves. The step in between judging ourselves and loving ourselves is curiosity. Mm -hmm. So if we can start to shift the judgment of I'm such a procrastinator too. Wow. Okay. Procrastination is protection. I wonder what my brain is worried might happen if I get up and do the thing that I say I want to do. And if we can shift to curiosity, then all of those nervous system, you know, fight, flight, freeze alarm systems tend to calm down. And then we can, then all of those wonderful thinking mind-based strategies tend to be much more useful. Curiosity, I think is one of the most powerful but mm-hmm. underused <laughs> ways mm-hmm. of being out there because it takes judgment out, you know, mm-hmm. it, whether we're curious about ourselves or we're curious about another. Like if I come at my husband <laughs> and I'm like, why did you do that that way? With, with like total judgment, right? I'm not in curiosity at all. Versus if I'm actually curious and I'm seeking to understand why he's doing something differently than I would have done it, it, the defensiveness doesn't come up in him. And we can actually have a conversation. I can actually understand him. It's like, yes. oh, it's magic, this curiosity thing. Right. And I see a lot of people getting stuck because they think curiosity equals justifying the behavior. Or mm-hmm. if I get curious about it, that means I'm subscribing to it or allowing it. Or, you know, you can have boundaries and be curious at the same time. Those two things are mm-hmm. not mutually exclusive. In fact, the stronger your boundaries, the more curious you have the freedom to become because you can stay in your own sacred space and stand your ground. Mm-hmm. But curiosity is such a powerful antidote to relational conflict. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I forgot to ask you one question about trauma that I want to circle back to. Mm -hmm. Um, In your experience, do you think it's possible for people to really heal trauma on their own in self-study? Or do you think it requires being in the loving presence of a skilled practitioner who can really hold that safe space? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, in an ideal world, we would all have access to wonderfully skilled practitioners who can do all of the things. Since we don't live in that world, it's really wonderful to know that you do not need to be in therapy to heal trauma. And I I get into lots of debates with people about this. Like therapists aren't the only, we're one path. We are not Mm -hmm. the only path Mm -hmm. and we're not necessarily the best path either. We're one of many. Can you heal trauma on your own without other human organisms? No. Can you heal trauma on your own with loving, compassionate people, if you don't have access to practitioners, yes. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, these two statements that you make, I totally agree with, and I'm sure you probably get some pushback on these, but I, these are really important things. First one, depression is debilitating, but it is not a chemical imbalance. That's what I was told at 11. You have a chemical imbalance. You mm-hmm. need this. If you're a diabetic, you take insulin. And then addiction is not a disease. 
<laughs> you slid those in. And like disclaimer, I have had chronic, severe and persistent depression. I am not in any way minimizing the pain of it, Media. the suffering, yeah. the life-threatening nature of it. So the feelings of depression are very real. And I take antidepressants. I still take them, but it's not because I have a chemical imbalance. The chemical imbalance theory has actually never been proven. Mm. It's a theory. And if you ask a doctor, what is the correct balance of chemicals in my brain? You'll get a blank stare because no one real, the brain is way too complex to be reduced down to, well, you need 33% serotonin and 20% dopamine. And then if you have this and if we just add this to the mix. So the question is, well, great. Well, why do you take antidepressants? Because in the complex machine of my brain, and I've tried a lot of them, I happen to find one that takes the edge off one of my symptoms mm -hmm. and it does it nicely. And sure, I have no bad side effects from it. So I'll stay on it, but it's not because I'm chemically imbalanced. So the chemical imbalance theory is a theory and it is not a proven fact. <laughs> and, um, that's a hard one for people. Mm -hmm. And I get that because if it's a chemical imbalance, then just balance my brain and then I'm good to go mm -hmm. and off we go. And if only <laughs> the human experience were that simple, right. it is, it's just not, um, does that, okay. So that's that the addiction is not a disease is also, you know, like I am a hardcore addict of many things. I've worked the 12 steps. Um, I understand the nature of addiction and the cycle and the shame and all of the things. Cause you know, I smoked meth. Like I understand addiction mm -hmm. is a very real problem. And the disease model of addiction is so disempowering, right? If you use the internal family systems model, addiction is a system of inner parts that are working together to protect you. My addiction was working very hard to protect me from a very painful truth that I didn't want to deal with. Mm. And when I was willing to face that truth, the addiction no, was no longer necessary. Mm -hmm. Addiction is devastating, but it is functional. Like it's horrible, but it's functional. Disease is not functional. Disease is absolutely non-functional. But if you look at addiction up close, it makes, I'm not justifying what I did, but it makes sense why I did what I did. Mm -hmm. And once I looked at some painful realities, the addict parts of me no longer needed to use addiction. And then they were free to, you know, my addicts have a wonderful skill set that serves me well in my day-to-day -day life, which no longer includes hard drugs. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love this. And I, I thank you for sharing so much of your personal story because, you know, it's great to have experts come on this show. And it's even better when people are an expert because of their experience. Mm. And it just makes it so much more real to know, oh my gosh, this is a woman that was smoking meth. Like, that's pretty bad. Like, whoa, like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's severe. And like it, you know, what you do now. And so for anybody that may think, oh, like I'm too far gone or I'm too effed up or, or whatever it is, I hope that the information and just Britt's personal story are really starting to give you the the belief and the faith that you can heal. Because as you said, and as I remind my audience of all the time, you aren't broken. You're having your human experience. And, you know, to, to go on the spiritual level for a moment, I believe that everything that happens, even some of the coping strategies we develop are all part of our soul lesson. I remember when I was getting my master's degree in spiritual psychology, they talked a lot about the spiritual path of the addict and how that is such a spiritual path karmically in terms of what you learn and what you go through and and who you discover on the other side of it. So there's just so much rich richness in our human experience and if we can just not shame it and really like you said be curious and understand it, 
oh my gosh, we just have such an easier time doing the healing work and actually being able to move forward. So, so thank you for your work and thank you for, you know, being a lighthouse for so many people. And I know that, um, there's lots of things that you do, which we'll talk about, but you also have a book coming out. Can you talk a little bit about that? I do. I'm very excited. Um, you know, over the year I banged my head on walls trying to figure out what worked, what didn't work. I had a stack of self-help books that I read through and I tried throwing all the spaghetti at the wall. And so the book that I wrote, um, the science of stuck is sort of like my show and tell of 20 years of exploration. Mm. It's like, okay, everybody, that stack of books on your nightstand, like here's the best information from each of them. So mm. you don't have to like read all of them from like, here's what the best of somatic experiencing says. Here's what the best of internal family system says. So I have a few of my own thoughts thrown in, but by and large, the book is really a synthesis of the best tools and practices that allowed me to not be sitting in a bathroom, smoking meth out of a light bulb and being mm. here talking to you. Mm -hmm. So yes, mm. I love that. It's like the cliff notes for my bookshelf. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. And where can people pre-order that? Because it's coming out in March, um, but people can connect with you and they can start to pre-order it now. Yes. Yes. It's on all the, you know, Amazon target, whatever. And, uh, the website is uh, www.scienceofstuck.com. Okay, great. Great. Um, and the, the last question I have for you is, you know, most of the time when people call into the show and they ask a question, it definitely goes back to their past. And so we talk a lot about the inner child on the show. And that's one thing you and I haven't talked about quite yet. What role do you feel the inner child really plays in our present day life? Oh, I love that inner child work is to, of all the things I've done, the most sacred to me mm. and the most present in my daily practices. And, you know, knowing that we have an inner child is the first step. And yep. then knowing that we have this wonderful, creative child within us, not just child, like children, you know, like multiple mm -hmm. children that have so much to give to us and mm -hmm. so much to share with us. And it's not just cultivating the inner child that's important, but also cultivating the inner parent and really working to understand there's this entire world inside our psyche that's available to us. And there is so much more richness and depth and soul and passion and love available to us. If we're willing to do some exploration, it's, you know, shadow work, which is just making what's unconscious conscious, you know, like being honest with ourselves about ourselves is the most powerful force in the universe to me, mm -hmm. at least as far as what I know right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I love inner child work. We teach a whole workshop around it. And I love how you bring all these, these pieces together. This has been so helpful. Thank you so much. We'll put the link for people to get the book in the show notes. Any place else people can connect with you, social media, website, anything like that? Yeah, I'm uh, very active on Instagram. I love meeting people on there. So it's just my name at Brit Frank. And so, you know, say hello, DM me. I love meeting people and getting to know people and hearing their story and just creating this community of, you know, wellness warriors. It's wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brit. Thank you. Thank you. 